Everybody love the God that we serve. He's been kind to us. He's been wonderful to us. We just love him with all of our heart. All of Come on, let's sing this great praise unto him. Lift it up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory.
Good morning and welcome to Great Commission Community Church and Happy New Year, everyone. Last Sunday, Christmas Day, we gathered together to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And this first Sunday of the new year, we continue to tell the story of Jesus Christ and his goodness um, towards us um, in the past, here today, in the present, and also into the future forever. So, Lord, um, we are thankful that we can be gathered here together. As we walk into the new year, we want to be reminded of who this Jesus is and how he has made all things new. From 2 Corinthians, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let us pray. Jesus, we marvel at your humility and sacrifice, being fully man and fully God. You were blameless and perfect in all of your ways, and yet you willingly died and humbled yourself on the cross, taking up our sins and bearing the wrath that you did not deserve. We know that it was through this act of reconciliation that you have made all things new, because you are here with us, you dwell among your people. We are no longer bound by sin because it is no longer we who live, but it is Christ who lives in us. So Jesus, we put off our former selves this morning and we declare that we have been renewed in Christ. We are new creations being made new by you even this moment. We are covered in your righteousness, and we long to become more and more like you. Amen. Church, if you are able, let's stand and worship the King who has given us new life.
joy to the earth. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ, yeah. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sound.
the world with truth and grace. That's what he's coming to do. Yeah. He rules the world with truth and grace. Yeah. And makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. And
makes all things new. He makes all things new. Let's proclaim that. He makes all things new. Yeah. He makes all things new. Yes, Lord. He makes all things new. He makes all things new. Let's proclaim it, church. He makes all things new. Yes. He makes all things
such a tiny offering compared to Calvary. Nevertheless, we lay it at your feet. Such a tiny offering compared to Calvary. Nevertheless, Such a tiny offering compared to Calvary. Nevertheless, we lay it at your feet. All that is within me cries. All that is within me cries for you. with us. My heart sings a brand new song. My debt is these Chains are gone. Emmanuel. God with us. Sing it just one more time. Just the voices. All that is within me cries. For you alone be glorified, Emmanuel, God with us. Art sing, my heart sings a brand new song. The debt is paid, these chains are gone, Emmanuel. God with us. Amen, amen. The debt is paid for all of us. Feel free to be seated at this time. Our God is worthy to be praised. We do not boast in our own righteousness, but in the power of our God. He is mighty and strong to save compassionate and kind and when we call upon his name he answers us for we are his beloved children from Isaiah chapter 40 hear the words of the Lord why do you say O Jacob why do you say O Jacob and speak O Israel my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
our God has been with us from the beginning to the end. Um, he has been faithful, creating us in his image. He's the one who walks with us through the ups and downs of our lives and renews our strength when we grow weary. So let's trust in his providence and wait on the Lord who is everlasting. At this time, we're going to pray as a church and I invite you to, you know, if it's helpful for you to close your eyes as we pray. Um, if it's more helpful for you to read the words of the prayers, we do project the prayers so that you can read along if that's helpful for you. Um, I will be praying these words um, that have given to us, but we also, I'll also be praying um, some words that might not match exactly, um, and that's okay. So, can we just um, spend a moment preparing our hearts? And Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for making all things new and for making us new in you. As another new year begins, help us to live each day for you. We thank you for all the joys that we experienced and for all the ways that you have carried us this past year. Help us to release the bitterness and frustrations from the past year and allow us to step into 2023 with a renewed heart for you. God, we pray for your spirit to lead us, to guide our decisions, to move our hearts deeply to desire you above all else it is written in Romans 12 2, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect Lord we ask for help to pursue you first above every dream above every worldly desire that may be in our hearts we want to say yes, Lord, to the things you ask of us. And we want to be able to surrender all the things to which you've said no or not yet. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we might see how much you are working in our lives and in the lives of others around us. And give us the wisdom to discern your will for us to seek after you more than anything else in this world. God, we also want to lift up our church in prayer. You have been so faithful to our church community. You have continued to provide all that we need, our church leaders, our volunteers who serve in different ministries, this physical building in which we are able to gather for worship, and other resources that help our church to fulfill your mission. Father, we ask that you continue to lay your loving hands upon us in this new year. Help us, help our church walk in the manner worthy of the calling you've given us. Help us in all of our interactions to have humble and gentle hearts. Grant us patience in every circumstance to bear one another in love. And grant us unity as we walk humbly with you. 
You have not called us to walk this journey of faith alone, but to do it in community. So help us to stir one another up in love and encouragement so that we may have the courage to be obedient and follow you, Jesus. We declare this morning that we need you, Lord. We need you. We acknowledge that we cannot face another new year without you, nor do we want to. This morning, we commit ourselves to you again. We lay down our brokenness, our sinful habits, our wrong expectations, and our worldly desires. And instead, we ask for your spirit to fill our hearts, our minds, and our souls. We want to be more like you, Jesus. We want your will to be done in our lives because our lives are not our own. We belong to you. And so we speak your name, Jesus. We speak your name above every other name for there is no battle too great for you in our lives because you are the victorious one. And in you, we are also victorious. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Every Sunday, we spend a little um, time expressing the peace of Christ um, to one another. So at this time, whether you're online on the chat or here in this room, we just invite you to pass that peace. Peace to you, brothers and sisters.
Happy New Year, everyone. We love to hear the chattering, and we hope that you will continue the conversations after the, our service. But welcome. Happy New Year, everyone. We want to um, welcome those of you who are joining us online or in this room that are new, um, especially if you're visiting visitors or your guests. Um, and I see some familiar faces, too, so we're so glad to see um, old faces as well. Um, we are glad that you're here with us um, this morning celebrating the new year together, and we hope that if you're new, you'll give us an opportunity to connect with you um, somehow after service. Um, one of the ways that you can connect with our church or your friends um, who have questions about the Bible or Jesus or about church um, is to join our First Things group. Uh, that will start at the end of this month um, in January. Um, registration is on the website, but that is just a safe space for people to ask questions um, and, and get some answers that people have. So um, feel free to join us for that. Also, as a reminder, well, first of all, it is wonderful to be together, both Tyson's and Arlington sites. Um, so we don't get to do that that often, so we're happy that we can celebrate the new year together. Um, as a reminder, Tyson's service will be um, resuming at Marshall High School at 10.30 in the morning. So for those of us at Tyson's who have gotten used to a later start time, um, please adjust. And then Arlington service will continue um, here at 11 a.m. We no longer collect offering um, or tithes in a physical basket, but we do that online. So allow me to just pray over our giving. Lord, we recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And we are only stewarding what you have given us. So make us wise and generous stewards, not just with our finances and our stuff, but with our time, our energies, and our talents as we experience your abundance towards us. Thank you for inviting us to be on mission with you. And we pray that as we give in faith, you will multiply the fruits of those gifts for your glory. Amen. Now, um, I have the joy and privilege um, to introduce to us our speaker today. Um, some of you might not be as familiar with our Minister of Families and Children, Erica Thornton. Some of you are very familiar. Um, but for those of you who are not familiar, Erica's generally at um, Tyson's, and she helps with family and children's ministry. So it, she's often in a different room um, in the back and checking out our, our children. Um, it's my privilege because um, I consider her my pastor um, as well as a good friend. And so I invite her up now to give us the word from the Lord today. Thank you. Um, and I actually have a bonus announcement that I'm going to squeeze in. Um, at the end of January, I'm going to uh, co-lead a class with Tim Z. Tim, can you wave and embarrass him a little? Um, and this class is called Meditating Day and Night. Um, if you find reading the Bible really draining or boring or you don't like it, this class is for you. Um, we want to create a space where uh, reading the Bible can be exciting again, where it can be a meditative conversation with Jesus that, you're, that you look forward to every day. And so we're going to meet every other Sunday night from January 22nd to April 2nd on Zoom, so you don't have to go anywhere. 
Um, there's more info online, but if you have questions about this class, Tim or I would love to talk to you uh, after the service. So feel free to grab one of us and ask us what that class will look like, what, how we'll spend our time, and what it will consist us of. We'd love to talk to you about that. Um, I'm going to pray to just open up our time. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you value every person in this room. And you want to have a relationship with us. You want to pour your love out on us. You want to speak to us this morning. And you want to empower us to go and live out your great commission. We give you permission to speak to us this morning. And we declare that we want to be good listeners to what you have to say. Holy Spirit, come. Amen. So me and my daughter, Chloe, who's 12, we have recently gotten into this show on Netflix called uh, Harry and Meghan. Anybody watch the show? Just Chloe and I. Okay, oh, Joy, I see you with that baby hand. Okay, you're outed now. Um, it's totally ridiculous. It's like Prince Harry and his relationship with Meghan Markle. It's like a docu-series. But Chloe and I are like a little obsessed. It's fun watching how they fell in love, how he like spotted her on Instagram, how they went camping in Africa, how they have matching like penguin onesies. Like, I don't know, Chloe and I are just really into it. And I think part, Chloe's like dying now. <laughs> I think part of why we like it is that everybody loves a good love story, even one that's cheesy or kind of like, this is ridiculous. Uh, everybody loves a good love story. So this morning, we're going to look at two great love stories that are in the book of Hosea. If you have your Bibles or your phones, I invite you to open up to Hosea 14. That's the last chapter in Hosea. Hosea was a prophet during the reign of Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II, in case you forgot, was not a great king. He was a terrible king. Um, and Hosea mainly prophesied to Israel in the north. Um, now, his prophecies take place about 50 years before the Assyrian Empire comes in and takes over and takes the Israelites out to exile. Um, now, prophets normally in the Bible, they actually represent a minority of people that actually want to follow Yahweh and obey his Torah and have a relationship with him. And God often asks these men and women to say uncomfortable things or do things that might be countercultural because the majority of the Israelite people were not following God and didn't want to. But God has a particularly uncomfortable assignment for Hosea. He tells Hosea to go and marry a woman uh, named Gomer. And Gomer and Hosea have three children together. But at one point, Gomer runs off to chase other guys. And she looks to them for security and for wealth and for love. And when this happens, God tells Hosea, go find Gomer, go get your wife. And bring her back home. So why would God ask Hosea to respond this way to his unfaithful partner? I think it's because God and Hosea have a lot in common. God also has an unfaithful covenant partner. I want to review a little bit of that story for you guys. I know you guys are super familiar with Old Testament history, but just in case, I'm going to review 
So God picks this one family that he wants to have a relationship with so that he can bless all families. So he picks the Israelites. They're living as slaves in Egypt at one point, and their lives are terrible. They're being worked to death, building these pyramids and monuments. And as their population booms, they actually throw their babies into the Nile River. And so it's, being in Egypt is terrible for them. And God rescues them out of this and provides them a way out of this season of death, okay? So he leads them out of Egypt. When they're in the wilderness, God has them camp with him for one year at Mount Sinai. There he enters a covenant with them. Hosea 2 refers to this as the day that God becomes Israel's husband, This covenant represents a marriage, not just in Hosea, but in many parts of the Bible. And in this marriage, there's two parts. So I was going to demonstrate it with my two hands, but now I'm holding the mic. So you just imagine. Okay. So God is on one side of this covenant, this marriage, and he is committing to protect Israel, to watch out for them, to lead them to this new home, the promised land and to provide for them, and to even make this land a place that's lush, that's plentiful, that has everything they need. But just like a marriage, this covenant has two sides, and so God asked that his people, the Israelites, would be devoted to him, that he would be their only God. They would worship him alone and nobody else. They weren't allowed to have other gods or other idols. They were only allowed to be his faithful covenant partner. And then just like a marriage, after they get married, God moves into the camp. He has them build this special tent, the tabernacle, and his presence moves in with his people. But almost immediately, God's people break this covenant with God. They begin worshiping other gods. Right away, they build those giant golden calves. And then for hundreds and hundreds of years, they have other idols, other gods that they give their allegiance to. Uh, They have these household idols that they'll sacrifice to so that their crops will grow. They even start adopting this terrible practice of uh, sacrificing their children to these idols, something God said would never even occur to him. And then they go so far as to even make alliances with Egypt. God tells them, don't ever go back to Egypt for any reason, but they start importing horses from Egypt. Now, that was a culturally normal way to ensure your national security back then. You needed a lot of horses, and you got them from Egypt. And so Israel starts to do this, too. They start to import all these horses from Egypt and get into this financial relationship with them. As their neighbor Assyria in the north grows bigger and stronger, they get in a covenant with them, and they say, hey, we'll pay you money if you don't attack us. So they start to have all these other gods, all these other idols, and all these other people that they look to for security and wealth, for love, for stability. And they're a very unfaithful partner. So how will God respond to having an unfaithful partner? The first thing I want us to know is that Yahweh views all of this as adultery. It's not that God's a stickler for rules and like he cares that, oh, you guys messed up. It's that God is in a relationship with these people. He sees, themselves, he sees himself as being married to them. And so when they abandon him, he, he sees that as adultery. It's a very big deal to God. And God is the innocent party. He has every right in this covenant to walk away, just like Hosea has every right to walk away. He didn't do anything wrong. 
And God is hurt. I want us to not gloss over that fact. God is deeply wounded by Israel's betrayal. I thought to illustrate this a little bit, um, let's just pretend I go to Starbucks every day and there's the same barista there, okay? Now, if one day I come in and that barista is like waiting on somebody else instead of me, I don't really care. If one day I come in and there's a new barista because my barista quit Starbucks and went to Whole Foods, I don't really care because there's no relationship with that random barista. But if Jonathan, my husband, is unfaithful to me, look out. The passion, the fury, the rage that would ensue on him and whoever, I can't even put into words, okay? I would chase him down. I would yell. I would scream. I would cry. I would do whatever it took to get that man back because I love him fiercely. And this is how God feels. Sometimes when we read this language in Hosea, it can feel uncomfortable to us because God's so mad. And we're like, oh, God has rage issues. I don't like this God. Instead, we forget God is in love. And the one he loves has abandoned him and has all these other terrible lovers. And God is upset about that. And he has every right to be upset about that because he loves his bride fiercely. Another thing not to skip over is that God is going to let Israel experience some of the consequences of her choices. We learn in God's garden all the time that sin always has consequences. Every time. You can't escape it. You can't avoid it. You can't jump over it. Every time you choose out of God's best, there are consequences. That's why God doesn't want us to sin. He wants us to avoid those consequences. But because he respects our choices, because we're not robots and he's given us free will, if we choose out of his best, he often lets us experience those consequences. And so when Israel has given her allegiance and her devotion and her love to all these other nations and all of their gods, God lets her experience the consequences of her sin. And he warns through Hosea that soon... Israel will come and be taken into exile by Assyria, or Assyria will come and be taken into exile, and Babylon will come to uh, the southern tribes, Judah, and take them into exile. And these will be the consequences. But also, God wants his people to see, you want these other covenant partners? I want you to see how terrible of a covenant partner these other gods will be. And so he lets them, for a season, experience the consequences of this betrayal. But in Hosea 14, we see his end goal. We see what he is up to all along. Even though we've been on this journey with him of these other emotions, of him letting these people experience these consequences, he does have an end goal, his ultimate response to his unfaithful partner. Hosea 14 opens with Hosea pleading with these people to return to Yahweh. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 for us. Return, O Israel, to Yahweh your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. That word just means like brokenness, something that makes you crooked or weighed down. And Hosea sees that this sin is literally making them stumble. Take with you words and return to Yahweh. Say to him, take away all our iniquity. 
Accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. Remember, that represents their allegiance to Egypt. And we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. And then God responds to this prayer from Hosea and from these people with these words. So I'm going to read Hosea 14, verses 4 through 8 for us. This is God's response to his unfaithful partner. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Oh, Ephraim, that's like his pet name for his people. Oh, Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. God promises three ways that he will respond to his unfaithful partner. The first way that God promises to respond to his unfaithful partner here is that he says, I will heal their apostasy. Now, I'm pretty sure nobody used that word this week in conversation, right? Apostasy. But it means your constant backsliding, like your disloyalty, your unfaithfulness. You do come to God, but then you leave him again. And God says, I will heal that part of you. The New Revised Standard Version says, I will heal their disloyalty. Hosea 5 describes Israel as seeing her wound, seeing her sickness, and going to Assyria and Egypt, and even going to her own king to get these things healed, but she can't find any healing in those other lovers because God alone can heal her. God is promising that one day he will heal their sin problem. It's not just about, like, correcting a mistake. God understands that his people have a sickness in their heart, a wound that only he can heal, and that is the source of their constant disloyalty. And he promises that one day he will heal their unfaithful heart. The second thing he promises is that God will love his people freely. I will love them freely, he says in verse 4. Now, what I think is interesting is in the verses above, the people come and say, we're going to bring bulls, this really expensive, huge animal as a sacrifice for our sins because we've been so disloyal. And God doesn't respond with like, you know what, you should bring three goats and a pigeon too because your sin is so big. Instead, he says, you don't owe me anything. I'm going to love you freely. God is not waiting for his people to earn his love. He's not waiting for his people to repay him. He is going to love them for free. When God has Hosea go and find Gomer, Hosea actually has to pay her new boyfriend to get her back, which culturally I get is odd for us. 
but it says a lot theologically for us, so don't miss that point. Hosea's love costs him something. He has to pay for his wife back. But from Gomer's perspective, it is a free love. And for free, she gets to go back home to her husband. And God's love is even more generous. After hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of unfaithfulness, God is just going to love his people for free. The last thing God promises is to be the source of their flourishing and their fruitfulness. I want to read the last few verses again for us. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He will take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Israel has looked to Assyria and Egypt for protection and safety for a long time. And they have looked to these household gods for their crops to grow, for safety, for more rain. They have offered gold and crops and even their own children so that they would be protected or have what they need or be secure, be safe. And then they have gone so far as to even make new covenants with Assyria and with Egypt and with their gods. And God knows that these things represent and lead to death and oppression for his people. He knows following these other gods will lead to their ruin. He knows that real safety, real security, real flourishing, real fruit can only be found in him. Now, three times in these verses, God mentions Lebanon. Lebanon was this super luxuriant agricultural area just to the north of Israel. So if Israel's here, it's like just above my pinky. That's where Lebanon was. What's interesting is that in Deuteronomy and in Joshua, Lebanon, that area is listed as part of the land that God would give his people. But in actuality, Israel only actually has that part of land for about 80 years when David and Solomon are king. For much of their history, this super luck, like lush and abundant land remains just out of reach. It's like an unrealized ideal of what their people could be, how wealthy they could be, how prosperous they could be, but it's always just out of reach. And over 70 times in the Bible, the biblical authors refer to Lebanon as this lush and beautiful and abundant place. It's like this goal, the Israelite dream life, is to be like Lebanon. But it's always just out of reach. Zechariah and Ezekiel praise Lebanon for its evergreen trees. Song of Songs celebrates the abundance of wine and the rich plants were there. And over and over again, we see the biblical authors talk about this place as like larger than life. It's so beautiful. It's so lush. It has everything you could ever want. Even the wood of Lebanon had a distinct smell. It was like spicy and woodsy. 
And this is the same wood that God has Solomon build the temple out of. So Lebanon would actually smell like God's house, like being in his presence. And God is promising to make his people flourish well beyond this image of Lebanon that's in their minds. It's like he says, you are envisioning this super rich and lush land. I can do that for you. You're trying to do it in your own strength, but I can grow those things in you. I can make you like the olive. I can make you blossom. I can make you strong. I can make your roots go down deep and your branches go out wide. And then he says, in me your fruit is found. He will grow and reproduce them. Remember his promise all the way back in Genesis 1, his blessing is to be fruitful. But God wants to be the source of their flourishing and their fruit. Israel is not God's only unfaithful partner, though. Each of us, every one of us, is in an unfaithful relationship with God. We have all looked to other things or people for security, for wealth, for safety. And we all say our God to the work of our own hands. And God is still responding the same way to his unfaithful partner. God is still promising to heal our sin problem. Isaiah prophesied that one day a suffering servant would come and be wounded so we could be healed. In Deuteronomy, Moses prophesies that one day God would give his people a new heart so they could actually be people who could loyally love their God. And God promises that one day he will do this. And we know the whole story that when Jesus comes, he died not just as a punishment for us, so much more to heal our sin problem so that we could be faithful and loyal lovers of our king. God is still promising to love his people freely. Just like Hosea had to go and pay something to Gomer's new boyfriend to get her back, Jesus spent his life for us. So his love is costly and it is valuable. But from our perspective, it's free. It's available to anybody who wants it. 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. The Bible says this is real love. Love that is costly, love that is valuable, but love that is also free through Jesus. And the last thing God is still promising to his people is that he will be the source of their flourishing and their fruit. I think this one is the hardest for us. At least it's the hardest for me. I'm cool with, like, God healing my heart. I'm cool with his love being free. But if I'm completely honest, I would like to produce all of my own fruit out of my own strength. And if you know me for five minutes, you would see that's very true of me. We also have cultural systems in place to ensure our own financial security and stability. We have worked hard. We did our homework on time. We practiced soccer a ton to get in the right travel league 
Or maybe we did extra homework so we could get into that magnet school. Maybe we worked really hard so we could go to our dream college or our dream grad school. Maybe you always work extra hours because you want those, that recognition. You want to earn your own fruit. We're very similar to the Israelites. But God sees all of this as adultery. We're still making an idol out of the work of our own hands. And this breaks his heart because he wants to be the source of our flourishing and our fruit. Jesus says in John 15, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. These are beautiful words. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And still when I hear that in my guts, I want to be like, yeah, but I can do some things. I want to prove that, like, I'm a really hard worker. And God is saying, no, all of your fruit is found in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Erica. We have spent the first morning of 2023 meditating on God's word together and on his promises for his unfaithful partner. He has promised to heal our disloyal hearts. He has promised to love us freely. And he has promised to be the source of our flourishing and our fruit. I'm going to ask Pastor Carl to come up here as we close. What's interesting in the book of Hosea is we never hear what happens to Hosea and Gomer. We don't know if they, like, go to marriage counseling and they buy a cute townhouse and they have another kid and they live happily ever after. We don't know if Gomer leaves him 20 more times. We don't know. It's an unfinished love story, but I think that's intentional. All of us are in an unfinished love story. We have seen and heard how God is committed and promised to respond to his unfaithful partner, but now the ball is in our court. How will we respond to having such a faithful partner? How will we respond to his free gift of love? How will we respond to his healing of our hearts? How will we respond to his source of flourishing and fruit that he is ready to do in and through us? So as we close, I just want to give you some time and space in your seat to just talk and listen to Jesus. This isn't about you promising to do more or work harder tomorrow. This is about you being loved on. Sit there and respond to Jesus. Talk to him about things that he's bringing up. And then I'll close us in prayer in a little bit.
Jesus, we are so grateful for your love. Your love that is costly and valuable, but free. Every morning it's free. We want to respond in a way that's worthy of your love towards your unfaithful partner. We get we're not faithful, and we're not going to be any more faithful tomorrow. But we are so grateful that you are always faithful to us, that you love us, that you chase after us. You are passionate about getting us back and lavishing your love upon your bride. Amen. Now we're going to move into communion. As part of that, we like to say the Apostles' Creed together. This is a way for a group of us, a community of people, to proclaim who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Would you read along with me? I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says these words, Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In a moment, we're going to worship again and sing some love songs back to our faithful partner, Jesus. And during that time, I invite you to get up and to get a cup. We have some up here. Where are the rest of them? In the back. There's more in the back. Um, you can get up at any point during the songs as you're singing when you feel ready and you can get the cup. The bread is actually in the lid, so you have everything you need in one cup. And then you can take it at your seat whenever you're ready. And we open the communion to anyone who has made Jesus their king. If you're following Jesus, if you're in a partnership with him, if you've made him your king, we invite you to get up and to take communion with us today. I'm going to pray over our communion time, and then we'll enter back into worship. Jesus, thank you for your death. Thank you for your blood that you spilled for us and your body that was wounded for us. Thank you that we get to celebrate and remember your sacrifice together as a community this morning. We repent of our sins. We are grateful for your forgiveness, and we receive your forgiveness anew this morning. Amen.
as we sing, you can sing with us or you can go ahead and grab an element.
this morning, I want to commission you with God's words from Hosea. I bless you to be a people who are healed from your disloyalty. I bless you to be a people who receives and who gives his love freely. And I bless you to be a people who Jesus bears much fruit in, who flourish because they are abiding with their king. Would you go and experience his faithful partnership in new ways today? Amen. Thank you for joining us. Have a good morning. <laughs>